Uh, like any job, mine is uh, filled with elements that I love and elements that I don't like so much. And I'm going to spend the next several minutes complaining about the things I don't like. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, man, really? Um, I'm not going to do that. Um, one of the things I love most about my job is actually something that I made up about my job. And in some ways, those are some of the best things about our jobs, right? Like the things that we hold ourselves accountable to, that nobody else is really holding our, us accountable to, but the things that we feel conviction about and things that we love. And um, I feel conviction about this particular element of my job. Um, it is one of, it is a part of my job to spend a lot of time in this city getting to know the people that lead in various areas, whether it's government or business or schools or even just in neighborhoods and get to know them, build relationships with them, and therefore come to a better understanding of what's happening here. Understand this ecosystem that we call the city of Inglewood. And part of that, the reason why I do that is because I truly believe that you can't really love something that you don't know very well. And so I've tried to lead out over the past few years and care for this city by getting to know it first and then learning the ways that we can care for it. Um, the, the cool part about that, the like extra bonus about all that is that I get to visit a lot of bars and restaurants and shops and schools. And I get to know all these great people who are doing really amazing things in our city. But one of the things that I've noticed that has started to happen, and this is, you know, going to happen anywhere you go, but it's definitely happened over the past couple of years around here, is that you see some businesses come and go. And in order for a new business to move in, usually an old one has to move out. And if the old one that moved out is somewhat of a staple in the community, you kind of like feel something towards the new one that moves in. It's not really their fault that the other one had to leave, but like you hold it against them for some reason, right? Uh, like some of you will remember there was a coffee shop up here on Santa Fe called Session that many of us frequented for a couple of years. It is no longer there. It's a sandwich shop, and I will never go into that sandwich shop, okay, <laughs> unless it's to tell them to leave. Um, they've done nothing wrong, but there's like a part of me that feels like they have in some way for some reason. Um, well, if you've been down on the 3400 block of South Broadway on a weekend or even on a weekday, but especially on like Saturdays when they're doing live music, you'll notice that there's, there's a brewery down there that um, has started to sort of come to life over the past couple of years. Now, there's a brewery there before that, and that's made it a little bit hard for some of us who've been around for just a few years um, to embrace and accept this new brewery that's there. The brewery that was there, the Bob, the brew on Broadway, was run by a guy named Paul who still lives here in Inglewood and decided one year he wanted to retire, and he didn't really want to like try to keep the thing alive, so he thought he would just sell the building to another brewery. But this new brewery that's moved in, everybody was a little bit skeptical about it first. We weren't so sure about it. Is it really the sort of place that we can embrace as a city when this staple, this thing that Paul had made for, you know, for decades had been there for so long? And but over time, we've started to warm up to this idea that this new brewery is actually a really great place to be. And I highly recommend that if you get the opportunity on a weekday or a weekend to head over to Brewability, find Tiffany, who runs that place, and ask her for a tour. She'll give you a tour of the entire th She'll drop whatever she's doing, and she'll show you the whole thing. It's not a regular, ordinary brewery. In their mind, breweries, bars, restaurants oftentimes err on the side of ableism, and they wanted to create a space where everybody was accommodated where everybody had whatever they needed in order to experience the place, to enjoy the place, to build community with each other, to build relationship. And they've gone to great lengths to make sure that that is the case. They have an entire room in the brewery that's, um, that has sensory-focused items to help soothe anxieties. Their menu is written in a way that accommodates everybody, no matter how you would receive information. The person behind the bar or making your pizza is oftentimes a person with a disability, and they have folks with disabilities there working in the actual brewing process as well. 
They have utensils for any ability, uh, no matter what. So no matter how you get food from your plate to your mouth, they have a way to do that, no matter how you do that. Um, and it's really pretty incredible. They even have a special menu for people who use a G-tube because they believe that no matter how you put food into your body, you should have a choice as to what that actually is. They're actually uh, in the process of installing technology in the floor in front of the stage so that people who are deaf can feel live music through their feet while they're experiencing it right there on the stage in front of them. It's amazing. It's really amazing. But if you talk with them for a little while, you'll come to find that they have struggled in some ways. Because believe it or not, this isn't the kind of business model that necessarily booms in a town like this, right? They're caring for a very specific population, and there's not always a return on that kind of investment. And so they're working on that, and they're going to great lengths to continue in this, um, in this trajectory that they've been on for the past few years. And you might wonder why in your mind. Like, why would they go about it this way? I mean, it seems noble, obviously, but why would they keep at it? I mean, it seems like a really tough go for them. But the reason why they keep doing it and the reason why anybody who does the kind of work that they do continues to do what they're doing year over year is actually the Advent theme for this week. The answer to why brewability is the way that they are is love. Love will drive us to do some of the most wild and accommodating and incredible things for people, regardless of the return on that investment. Love has an ability to change the way that we live our lives so radically and dramatically that we would stoop or stay or stand with anybody and everybody around us, no matter whether or not they can reciprocate that love to us or not. Brewability does it with their building. You do it with your kids or uh, with your roommates or with your neighbors or with your spouse or whatever. We find ways to love other people, even if they can't always give us that love back. And the kind of love that I want to talk about today is perfectly expressed in the Christmas story. It's the love that we anticipate this time of year, the love that we long for, the love that we hope for. It's perfectly expressed in the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. It is the most accommodating love the world has ever known. It's the kind of love that would bend over backwards to provide anything to anybody, regardless of the potential for reciprocation. Here's a familiar text that will help us frame our understanding of God's love. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people, people loved darkness and instead of light because, of their deeds, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But people, but, who, but whoever lives in the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is a message from the Lord. Thanks be to God. The beginning of this text, although it's familiar, I mean, it's easy to gloss over it if you've grown up in church world because you've heard it so many times and you've seen it on T-shirts and postcards and like whatever. You've seen it so many times, you've heard it so many times, it's easy to gloss over, but there's an incredible statement that's made in this very first line, and I would say that sometimes we miss it when we don't take some time to actually ask ourselves what is happening here. There's a qualifying statement at the beginning of this text 
we're not just getting a glimpse of God's love for us in terms of like whether or not it's their objective truth or whether or not it's available to us. We're also getting a glimpse of the quality and the quantity of God's love. There's a qualifying statement there. He loved the world so much that he sent his son. God's love was so immense and powerful and overwhelming that something had to be done about it. Action was required in response to the love that God had. God's love was so deep and strong and significant that it became necessary for it to manifest itself to the entire world. But the Gospel of John doesn't stop there. There's more to this kind of love. And we actually have to go backwards a little bit in John to get to it. But if we go back just a little bit, we'll see that not, this love was not just immense and powerful and vast. It was also specific. It is both relational and locational. It's specific both in the form that it arrives and the place to which it arrives. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. This is a description of something that we call in the church incarnation, which literally means made of meat. It means that something that was an idea, that was something that was intangible, became not only tangible, but tangible in a person. Tangible in something that was made of meat, flesh, a human being. This is incarnation. But the thing that we often miss about this is in the location that the incarnation presented itself to. See, I think incarnation is a little more complex than we have made it. Incarnation is when intangible love becomes physically represented in both a person and a place. Love did not come down just in the form of Jesus. It came to a particular place. It came to a town called Bethlehem. And if you're wondering, was there something special about Bethlehem? Like, was there some sort of reason why he chose Bethlehem in that particular era? I think there was actually almost nothing special about Bethlehem, and that was the point. That Jesus arriving to a very ordinary town and interacting with very ordinary people and himself being a very ordinary person is to you and me a symbol that he moves into our very ordinary lives. Our very ordinary and mundane rhythms of life, our very ordinary and mundane jobs, our very ordinary and mundane families and neighborhoods. Jesus brings love into those ordinary and mundane places that is symbolized and represented in the original incarnation, and it is passed on to you and me, and now we become little Christs or little Jesuses or disciples, if you will, that mimic that love in the life that we live. We talk a lot about, when we talk about incarnation, the person that it comes in, Jesus. Jesus is the incarnation of God's love, and that's absolutely true, but we fail to talk about the place to which it is brought to bear. That love is brought to bear in your neighborhood and in my neighborhood and in your family and in my family and with your roommates and with my roommates, all of them of every shape and size, all of those roommates get to experience that love as well. Incarnation is twofold. It is about both a person and a place. There's a story that I think illustrates this really well, a story about incarnational love that showed up in a place that I didn't expect it. I said at the beginning of this homily that it is part of my job to get out there and get to know people, and I did this on the second day that I started this job. I moved into that office on a Monday, and on Tuesday I started to walk around the neighborhood, and I came across this little school over here called Bishop Elementary School. And I walked into the school, and, and I'm sure I had to pass a series of 
you know, whatever tests in order to actually get to a person to talk to, to actually get in the building. But I got in there and I finally talked to the person at the front desk and I said, hey, um, my name's Nathan. Um, I don't even think I said I was a pastor in the neighborhood yet because I don't think I really believed that I was one on my second day of work. I just said, I just would really like to talk to the principal. We live in this neighborhood and we care about this place. We'd like to get to know it a little bit better. Can I talk to this pr the principal? And she was like, yeah, sure. Her office door is open. You can go right in. So I walked into her office. Her name was Lisa. It's not the principal that's currently there. And I sat down and I just said, could you tell me about your school? Could you tell me about this neighborhood? Could you tell me about the people that are in and out of these doors every single day? Tell me a little bit about this place. And that's when I learned that Bishop has a, has a pretty high concentration of students with particular needs, um, has a pretty high concentration of students who um, maybe don't speak English or come from a different culture or background than I do. Um, it's a diverse population at Bishop, and, and it comes, that comes along with some needs and some opportunities for accommodation. I also learned in that conversation that the plan was to level that building very soon and to build a brand new building in its place. There's a whole other story there about how that building got it to where it is, and I'll tell you that another time. But I can tell you this. In that conversation, I, I just asked, like, one simple question, and I found out a litany of information about what this one place was actually made to represent. And in that conversation, she told me a little bit about this thing that was about to happen. So it was, that was November of 2015, and she said, there's this church in Castle Rock that does this thing every year, and it serves, like, 30 families in our school and it's called the Bishop Christmas Store, and it's so cool, and you should just come see it. And so that December, uh, I, I attended the first Bishop Christmas Store, and I got to see the Christmas Store in action for the very first time. And I just filed that away and was like, this is very cool. I want our church to be at the forefront of leading this in the future, and I want this building to, rep to be a place as they rebuild it where that can happen better and better every single year. I just filed that away. Eventually, a few of us, when there was a few of us, there was, you know, like it went from like me to like three people and then to seven. It was amazing. And then uh, a few of us weaseled our way into the design committee for that new school building. And I, we would sit in these meetings and the architects would ask us questions about what we thought the student population needed and the families and the community needed out of a school. And I remember in one of the conversations, we were trying to solve the problem of Bishop being a small school um, on like a small uh, patch of land. And they were like going to need to build up a little bit. And they were like, we're going to need a couple different levels. And like, we're going to need like stairs occasionally. And there's a lot of students at Bishop that can't, won't be able to use the stairs. And so they were like, well, we're going to need to build lifts or ramps next to those stairs. And they just couldn't figure it out in terms of the space that they had to work with. And I remember a parent sheepishly raising their hand at one point and saying, well, why don't we just have ramps? Like, we don't need stairs. Why don't we just have, ju everybody can use a ramp. And the architects were dumbfounded. They were like, we've never thought of that before. <laughs> it was incredible. They were just stumped. They had built schools before, and they were stumped. They were like, yeah, I guess that hadn't crossed our minds. And sure enough, uh, that became sort of a mantra, kind of a catchphrase for that group as we continued to plan the way the school um, would look. We, anytime we ran into like a difficult problem, someone would just say, why don't we just have ramps? And we'd all remember like, oh, think outside the box a little bit. Like, how could we accommodate the students here as that have the highest need and everybody else can figure it out. Everybody else can catch up and everybody else can be a part of that regardless of what we're doing. And a, last weekend, I, I, I wanted to say a couple weeks ago because it feels like an eternity ago somehow. Last weekend, we got to host the Inglewood Christmas store in that building uh, for the first time since they rebuilt it. 
and a lot of you were there, and a lot of you got to see that there were ramps, and a lot of you got to see that there was a sensory room um, for kids uh, that, that they can experience and, and get some of the therapies that they need. A lot of you saw that there are three languages on pretty much every written sign in there, English, Spanish, and Arabic, because those are the three primary languages spoken in this community. They're subtle, but the accommodations in that building represent years of parents and neighbors saying, why don't we just do everything we can to take care of the students that go here? Why don't we do everything we possibly can? And I'm sure that the school falls short in some ways, and I'm sure there's plenty more to learn, but I've been so encouraged by that. And last weekend, we served 200 families at the Inglewood Christmas store from three different schools in the city of Inglewood. Parents shopped for 1,300 gifts to give to 650 kids a week from yesterday. It's going to be incredible. It's still playing out in the day-to-day life of that school. To me, this is a story of incarnational love. I know it didn't take place in a church. I know there was no altar call. I know that there was nothing particularly explicitly spiritual about it, but this was a representation of incarnational love. This is a representation of love uh, accommodating and meeting people right where they are, regardless of the ability to reciprocate. I've experienced that both in that building as my kids attend there every single day for school and also in the Christmas store when we got to do that all together. This last week, I learned about a person who's sort of an expert on love. You may have heard of her before, but I had not until she passed away last Tuesday. Bell Hooks is a person that I had never heard of before until she passed away, and the internet exploded with bell hooks quotes and this and that. And so I I dove straight into the rabbit hole to, to learn as much as I possibly could, and I found that she was, in fact, an incredible writer and activist. And here's one that I found among many that I really loved. She said, the moment we choose to love, we begin to move against domination, against oppression. The moment we choose to love, we begin to move towards freedom to act in ways that liberate ourselves and others. Love is a movement towards liberation because love is an opportunity to meet people right where they are, to accommodate people for what they need, regardless of their ability to reciprocate. This is the story of the incarnation, the story of Jesus coming to you and to me. You could never reciprocate the love to Jesus that he has given to you. And he met you right where you are. He moved straight into your neighborhood. He moved right into your life and made himself available and accessible to you, accommodating every need you've ever had. And then gave you that love to carry with you from from place to place, from person to person, and you get to carry that with you into the, the final weeks of this year. I know for a fact that some of you have events coming up with friends or family or neighbors that you are nervous about. You're gonna have an opportunity to maintain a posture of love, a posture of accommodation, posture of care, a posture of grace in those conversations and in those environments. See, love is something that you have now been endowed with, and it's something that you get to use to close out this year and to begin a new year. It's something you get to pass on to your kids and to your friends and family members. It's something that you get to give as much as it has been given to you. Love came down to you and to me and accommodated us at every step of the way. The love that came to us in the form of Jesus was the most accommodating and generous love imaginable. It was a love like the world had never seen before. And that same love lives within you.
and you get to take that with you wherever you go. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this love that you've extended to us and then entrusted to us to give to the people around us. We pray, God, that we would consider this love as a posture that we take towards the people around us, as a posture that we take towards ourselves, and as a posture that we take towards you. Despite our inability to uh, reciprocate love to the extent that you have given it to us, you sure have invited us to show love towards you through worship. And we pray, God, that that would be on our hearts and our minds in this holiday season. This thing that's so easy to look past. May it be central to the next couple of weeks. We love you. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.